Hey, and welcome. This is another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Today, we are talking with Jimmy Simmons, the genius, the motivation behind Monster Model Works on the web. Excellent kits. Now, got uh, the usual uh, people with us, Christopher uh, Palomares and James Lincoln from back in New England where it's very cold. It's not that cold. So, welcome, everybody. Hey, guys. It's kind of cold here, too. Yeah, but not like Jimmy's got. And it's not that cold. Oh, okay. Well, Mr. Simmons and I were saying how it was in the 70s at our place today. It's 76 today. It was beautiful. (laughs) Okay, well, just because it was like 40 and windy and nasty, that's not that cold. That's right. Is it raining back there, uh, Jim? Not today. Okay, going to get snow? So they say, I don't know. I don't pay much attention. I walk outside. And it's like, oh, it's cold. Wow. I haven't been in forty yeah. degree weather in years. Ah, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it just doesn't get that out here. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Oh, uh, that's great. And I'm what, in ten degree weather? Got... Hey, uh, yeah, I'm in ten degree weather right now. Well, bless your heart. Yeah, that's no fun. No fun at all. But like I was saying, you could be in Buffalo where they're measuring the the snow by the foot now. That's just wrong. No, I haven't seen that either in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you haven't either, Paul. That's true. Not in the nine years I've been out here. So, except for we did go up to Flag one time into two feet of snow to take our grandson who had never that don't seen count. snow. Oh, okay. That doesn't count. Yeah, because I was home that night and it was 65 back right. here. Okay. All right. I'm just a snow pretender. Um, so... Jimmy Simmons, Monster Model Works. Why don't you, because your product line just, to me anyway, it seems to just grow. So you have kits, and then you have supplies to allow you to scratch build, kit bash. Uh, your brick and stone is just unbelievable. If uh, listeners have not seen... Jimmy's artistry with his laser in recreating brick and stone, you will think it's real brick and stone that somebody just shrunk. So just give us an opening overview, uh, Jimmy, of what you guys are offering now. You know, when we started, we're we're right about a a three and a half year mark and, um, you know, which is great. We're we're, we're moving forward and and growing, you know, every month and, and, you know, that is something that, you know, a lot of us, you know, it, it's a tough thing to do this, this work. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a nonstop thing. And when we started the company, I decided, you know, usually when guys get a laser, all of a sudden everybody's carrying roof shingles. Everyone has the same products. And it's like, you know, I don't want to go down that road. I, I, I want to be, you know, different. Um, we came across this 3D laser settings, and since I had a, a graphic design background, um, I was able to go into some of these files and create, you know, these certain 3D textures that the laser would interpret. And that enabled us to get, you know, from not only brick and stone, but wood siding, uh, you know, herringbone material, concrete block. Uh, we just uh, get concrete sheets, you know, cracked concrete. These are from photos of real concrete uh, roads and areas that are, you know, turned into a certain product shape that would fit the modeler's needs. 
uh, we just came out with a damaged asphalt, which, um, you know, it's a lot of fun to create this stuff because I'm a modeler at heart, you know, and I was a modeler before all this started. So when neat products come out, you always get excited about them. So I know if I'm getting a little excited about a product I'm creating, I, you know, it, it, it you know, I know it's going to do pretty well. Uh, the funny thing about, you know, when I did the damaged asphalt, I go, you know what, they're going to come back to me and say, it's just too damaged. And my opinion was this, when I sell, I sell plain concrete, I sell cracked concrete. I sell a hundred times more cracked concrete than plain concrete. People you know, only have a small area to model. They want to get their point across, you know, so if something is a little over the top, it's okay. You know, so, um, you know, the damaged asphalt, I actually only had one guy email me back and say, you know, if it had 70% less cracks, I'm like, dude, it's damaged asphalt. It's not a, a street, you know, cut it up into little walkways, you know, make little sidewalks out of it, make parking lot pieces out of it, you know, whatever you're going to do. So, you know, we, we just try to be different. Um, to be honest, I did, I did think it was a little too damaged. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't going to say nothing, but it was like, okay. Well, I would agree with you as well in, in, in certain aspects because, one, I'm limited. Some, sometimes with using photos and 3D images, you know, you, you got to pick and choose your battles carefully because, you know, when you start bringing that stuff into the computer programs and working with it, you know, you're looking for certain criteria um, that, that matches. And other times, you know, it was like, yeah, I know this is a bit too cracked, but I got I – and mean, we're immediately, you know – just completely battered with sales for this product so it was like well there you go well i know i i know by you know i myself like to take it over the top just a little bit my own personal modeling um you're trying to make get that point across you're trying to get that feel across you know a lot of times you're you look at a small scene that you're modeling and you're like well how do i get the feel of that well sometimes if you up certain things and once you put everything else in the scene um you know you get your point across and 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 you know it's it's one of those things you know it's the brick with multiple kinds of brick. Um, you know, another thing with the brick is I knew I had to go down that road because as a modeler, you know, a lot of people didn't want to work with plaster. They didn't want to work with resin. They love working building wood kits. And when I was able to put these, these textures uh, onto the wood, um, I said, okay, well, that's just the first step. How do you, what do you do? People can't do anything with this sheet. Uh, unless you can do other things with it. The corners work out very well. We, we put uh, the brick on two sides of a, of a one-eighth, uh, uh, you know, basically one-eighth square dowel, and, and um, it takes the brick around the corner almost seamlessly. So all those things sort of gelled, so we just kind of build from there. You know, we, we learn so much, you know, from every kit and every new product. You know, you just learn a ton on, on how you're going to take the next, the next thing. So um, it's been very exciting for us. Actually, for Ossie, I have to say this because I get a lot of emails from people is, you know, they think we're this large conglomerate company. You know, I mean, I try to do a good job of putting the company out, you know, as as a professional product, you know, logo, the whole nine yards. Because from my business world, um, uh, when I was uh, in, a, in a, a different lifetime uh, working for corporate, you know, it was one of those things you did. So I took that with me. But a lot of people think that we're this big company. It's me and my wife. Um, at home, and uh, uh, we, we bust butt every day, so it's a it's a pleasure to to serve everybody because we get so many good compliments from people. So we appreciate that. Well, and you know, I've looked at the the cement, you know, the concrete, and the asphalt. 
And we've got roads like that around here in the Phoenix area that look just like your asphalt. I had a fellow send me an, uh, a photograph in an email and says, you nailed it. And it was a bunch of guys who were actually fixing roads were standing on a road with their work truck, and it looked just like what I had put out. So, you oh, know, there's, yeah, a, there's, there's a place for it in, in, in different places, you know, with anything, you know. Um, sometimes a little more extreme is a little more fun. Okay. Now, along that line, you've got wood siding that, uh, especially the split log stuff. (laughs) I think that is just genius. The split log, um, you know, it's funny. When when we do these things, you know, we, we run a lot of tests. Not only do I, you know, Get the product right so it looks right to me. Would I buy this when I see this? You know, uh, you got to do that. Um, the next step is if I can't get it to paint well, uh, or, or, or you know, you know what? A lot of the advanced modelers out there, we can do all these advanced techniques, you know, but we got to make sure that the guys who are just starting can do it as well. You know, like with this asphalt, you know, as you use different materials, you learn their, you know, their their properties and how they take weather paints or weathering powders and so forth. And I, I, I almost didn't release the asphalt because I was, you know, I was, you know, throwing India ink and alcohol on it. Didn't like the way that looked on it. I was trying to get that black look, but still it had to be light enough to be, you know, the, the asphalt. And I, I was trying 10 different, you know, techniques of painting it. And I just wasn't happy. And for some reason, I went back to my old standby as I, I took a little bit of uh, 99% alcohol and put a little black weathering powder in it. Not much. Almost the same consistency if you put it on paper next to a a, a, a light um, India ink and alcohol wash. And I put two or three coats of that over it, and that's all I did. I didn't steal it, didn't do nothing. That photograph is nothing but a couple of coats of, of, of black weathering powder washed in with alcohol. Um, and because the asphalt is a light color, it, it's a... It's a the laser board we use. It's a it's a very light, almost like a manila folder type of color. Um, that bounces off of the black, and it that's it. That's all you had to do. So once we did that, we knew we had a good product um, with any of the stuff. Um, you know, we you know we've had other things that we really liked, but and other people liked when they saw it, but we just weren't happy with the final result. And you know, we just can't put that kind of thing out there being a young company. You know. Sure. Now. When I look at the uh, the split log, the checking that's in there, like because this is representing, you know, logs that have been out, I guess, in service for a long time. So that checking is actually being cut in by the laser, and then when you put the color and the wash on it, it of course it goes in there and highlights it. But that is just amazing. Yeah, um, you know, a lot of our sheets come with a stamp on the back uh, that says this side up. Um, because, well, well, no, seriously, because if you turned it upside down, it wouldn't look right. Um, a lot of times these 3d textures, you know, they have a light source coming from a certain direction. And, um, you know, especially with, with, with the split log, you know, we had done the wood siding first and, uh, didn't really think it was, was going to work, uh, when we first decided to do it because we, you know, people spend hours, you know, scribing in, you know, uh, wood grain and knots and, and all this different stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, and trust me, I did it too. And I, in plenty of kits I, I did, I, I have all my own techniques that I used to teach people how to do with that stuff. So, I mean, I know what it's like. 
So when I did the engraving, it came out so nice. I couldn't believe I could see all the grains and the wood grains and the, and the knot holes. Um, I really, you know, I have a lot of narrow gauge customers. And they seem to be, you know, some of the uh, most adamant modelers about about what they're doing. You know, they're just they're just passionate. And I really hadn't seen a lot of split log wall kits out there. Um, there were a couple, but you know, they they weren't really um, split log. And when I got this this texture and it worked, I, I just I, I still look at it today when I when I take them out of the laser. You know, you're always checking it. You go, man, I just that looks so cool. And it does, you know, so when we get the saloon kit, which had that split log wall, I got a blank split log wall kit blank. It's basically four walls, a pitched, you know, pitched on two ends and then straight across. And it's got the logs that's, you know, it's, it vertically splits the uh, splits the side. So it has a nice definition and and you can cut your own windows out of that. It's on one sixteenth basswood that everyone's used to buying, you know, scribe siding or, or uh, clapboard siding on one sixteenth. So it's the same stuff. And uh, they all interlock like the logs are interlocking with each other on the corners, you know. So it's things like that to allow you know these these cool scratch builders. I mean, it, it's so cool seeing people send you photos in of what they've done with your stuff, and some of them are doing stuff that you never thought that would be used for. Um, that's pretty cool. Oh, I would imagine it is. Um... Yeah, even the last time we spoke, which goes back a year or so ago, I remember how impressed I was when I had actually put, you know, held some of your samples in, in my hands about the, the visuals. And uh, that was just some of your brick stuff. And now you've you've expanded the product line into all these other areas. Well, you hit the nail on the head, Paul, um, is seeing it in person. Yeah. Um, that's something that, you know, intentionally, you know, I didn't want to start spending a bunch of money and going to all these shows, you know, narrow gauge conventions and, you know, the national and all in traveling, you know, Springfield and this and that with just, you know, five or six products, you know, I mean, it just didn't make sense. And my background was web technology, uh, code writing, that kind of stuff. So um, I said, you know what, if we get a good online business going um, and build the product line up, now I can take it on the road, and, and we're just about there. Um, we're we're going to do some of the uh, great train shows, and we're going to do the the national in Portland this year. Uh, have a booth there and do some clinics. So it, it's time to start getting out there a bit more now that we've got a product line and we've we've got the sales coming through online, uh, which a lot of other guys, I did you know don't have. You know it's hard to you know have a good website, manage that, and, and all that stuff. So. Um, so yeah, you guys are going to start seeing us more and more uh, at some of these shows, which is uh, we're looking forward to. Oh yeah, looking forward to uh, seeing. Well, well, that's the thing. The point is seeing the product because I have a lot of people who call me and they have questions and they just haven't seen it or sent them a sample piece. I just got an email a few minutes before uh, we started recording. A brand new customer had uh, S scale guy had bought one of my um, uh, one of my S scale starter structure kits, uh, which is. Unique because the starter structure, it basically we give you the start. You can a lot of the times you can choose the brick you want. You can choose if you want a dual entry uh, storefront or a single entry storefront. Uh, three story ones you can actually choose the cornice inscription. You know you can put a date on there, or you can put you know you know we have, we have folks who put the different hotel names or, or things that are related to themselves. 
So this guy sends me an email. Hey, I got my order today. Uh, this is the first time I've seen your work up close and hands-on. Your brick work is gorgeous, and gorgeous is with all capitals. The entire kit is very well done. I, you know, that's that kind of thing that keeps me going. You know, it's um, it's, uh, it's it's a lot of fun, and when you know people are using the stuff and, and happy with it, uh, that's, you know, can't be in business if, if, if they get it and don't like it, right? So, right. So it's, it's a good validation is my point. Yeah, another thing yeah. that amazed me, I, I remember way back when, uh, when you were first starting out, you had the uh, sheets of cardstock with the brick laser cut into it. And I thought that was, you know, if you if you had a structure or something like that, I thought that was, you know, you would never think to laser cut a piece of cardboard. You know, when you're, you know, I do a lot of, even as a modeler, I, I was a experimenter, you know, experiment different techniques, different paints, different things. Um, it's the same thing with, uh, with the laser, you know, again, having a laser is one thing, um, having the ability to graphically, um, utilize it properly is a whole nother thing. I mean, I mean, you know, I get a lot of files from people who just draw in in CAD, AutoCAD, this, that, and, and that's great. You know, the files work, we just get cut lines and move on, but to be creative, a CAD program is, is only going to limit you, or limit me anyway. Uh, you know, so we use a, a more of a graphic program, uh, Adobe Illustrator, and I can pull in graphics from Photoshop, and you can do all these different different things. So, you know, it's it's experiment, experiment. And um, with the brick, yeah, I put it on cardboard. I put it, I could etch it onto uh, a, a regular piece of paper. We can etch it into plaster, into acrylics. Um, you know, they all take different settings and, and different things, but, uh, my favorite's the wood, you know, it's just easy to work with and, and, uh, it's very forgiving. You know, you can, you can mold it and shape it very easily, uh, if you need to. And, and the texture, the texture of the wood grain and the basswood just gives to the brick, you know, it, it really enhances it and makes it and, and makes it. So it's again, ex- experimentation and, um, the, the need for having to put out new products. Any of us who, who run businesses in this industry, uh, especially do it full time like we do, uh, you got to constantly be putting out new products, uh, new ideas, new things. So um, we love our customers to send in or, or folks to send in product suggestions because you never know where that's going to spark the next uh, the next thing. You know. Um, of course, I know what your biggest seller is. <laughs> What's that, Jim? The rail anchors. Uh, you want to? You want to you know? I don't what's think funny. you've sold one, have you? Uh, the uh, Jim had challenged me a few years back about seeing if I could, you know, 3D etch tie plates and cut them out. And uh, we were we did it well in O scale. Uh, we we did it in in HO scale, S scale as well. And the rail, those rail anchors, we only did them in in O scale. And I still have them. I don't, I don't even think I have them on the site anymore for sale. Yeah, that, that, that was just something no one was interested in. They look really good though. Oh yeah, um, they look great. But you know, it's, I, it's, it's I, like when when Jim asked me to do the tie plates, and I was like, okay, I could, let's see if I can do this. Um, we did it, and when I took it down to HO, it looked really good as well. So uh, the funny thing is, is is the HO tie plates just can barely be kept in stock the uh the o scale does okay the s scale does okay but i you know the ho ones and they're using them for what i think is best is you know you know put them in the back of flat cars or gondolas or put them in uh you know pile them up around the yards they look really good that way 
and that was that was how I sold it to Jimmy, which is this is this is a detail that nobody puts in because there really isn't a cost effective way to get them. And for as a detail part where you're not, I actually use his tie plates to handle a track in O scale. They're great. They're great for that. And people do that uh, in HO as well. Um, I'm, I'm sure they could. I mean, they, it's physically possible for you to do it. It's just not as many people are crazy enough to do that. Um, no, but I just but, had a guy who wants them in N scale. <laughs> and, and and I said, uh, you know, I thought about it, and I haven't tried it. I said, I'll I'll, I'll give it a try and see how they look. But, you know, N scale is um, – it's a unique scale. You know, for me – it's easier to go from HO to S. A lot of the materials are exactly the same. Uh, when you get to N scale, you're, you're changing all kinds of stuff. And um, oh, yeah. it's not, it's, it's, sometimes you just got to have that passion for N scale to be a good N scale manufacturer. Uh, that's why we haven't released uh, any new kits in N scale, stuff like that is, is, you know, it's, you know, we have to pick our battles here being so small and, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's not that. We get calls for, like, this new Union Brewery we did out of uh, Virginia City, Nevada. Um, I've got tons of people from every scale slamming me about it. You know, so, you know, those are ones now I know I can consider those because uh, I've been hammered by people about it versus, you know, other kits. You don't get as many responses from other scales, so. Why didn't – oh, hammered in a good yeah, way. Yeah, hammered in a good way. They're getting, you know, emails and calls saying, you're going to put this in S? You're going to do this in S? You're going to do this okay. in N? Um, you know, when you start getting a pile of emails like that, uh, it, you know, it, it's it's a nice. I know it's hard. Different scales are hard. I'll put something out in HO, and if it does really well, I know I'll look to other scales. Uh, if it does okay, you know, I don't want to necessarily waste my time unless I get a lot of requests for it. Again, you know, we limited resources here, so uh, every time you create a new product, you get new packaging to create. Uh, you know, you've got different bag sizes. You get all these different things you have to consider and. You know, if you've got to sell six of them, uh, it isn't uh, worth it. That's why we didn't why we didn't do that O scale. Uh, we we did the uh, the wall a wall kit for the Durango Roundhouse in in H O and S, and those still sell very well. And and I had a you know a few people interested in O scale, and we were going to do it in O scale, and uh, it just didn't pan out. The O scale was just you know whatever they were doing. Um, so you know, it's things you have to be careful with. And, any and kid, everything, any kid, everything, any everything in O is is just exponentially huge. You know, it's it, it's not twice as big; it's actually four times as big. Yeah, so. I, I put together a, a prototype of the Durango Roundhouse sidewall uh, in O scale, um, and scale thickness was was uh, four one eighth sheets uh, laminated together, uh, and uh, the thing looked like a cricket bat when it was built. I mean, it was just big, and it was like. Okay, <laughs> and that's another reason, you know, it's it's like you got to be, there's so many good kit manufacturers in O, and, and there's a lot of great, great scratch builds in O. We do very well with scratch building supplies in O, but, you know, again, uh, you know, when HO is keeping you busy, and, and S, S, is, S is right up there, too, I, I not as good much as HO, but it's definitely a growing um, scale, at least for me. Um, you know, those are the ones you keep on your... You know, right in front of you. So yeah, see, uh, S scale fascinates me. It's as a, you know, but then again, a lot of things do. It's, it's in a lot of ways, it's the perfect scale. It's big enough so you can see it, but small enough where you can actually put something somewhere. 
Yeah, but it's still big. I mean, I love the textures in S. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they just they scream at you in S as just, you know, like you said, perfect scale. But, you know, you, you can be limited when you start getting buildings that are, you know, seven, eight inches high. And it's, you know, it's the same one you did in HO that's only, you know, maybe five or something. So, uh, you know, it's you got materials to consider and material sizes that, that can limit you to so. All of, all of it's a consideration when you when you put in a can. I mean, we learned so lot, so much from our first. We put our first freight house out, first freight house kit, and I mean, we sold a ton of them. It was great. I mean, it was a great learning experience. And uh, after a while of of making the kits and making them and making them, uh, the manufacturing process behind it was our first. You know, so it had a lot of. Well, now we call them negatives today. We learned we learned from them to, and not to do it in certain other kits. We finally discontinued it. Um, but it's good to do that because, you know, you're keeping it fresh and, and you're, you're wanting to keep your newest technology out there versus your, your old style, you know. So um, constant learning progress That's all I can say. I mean, I learned, you see, I learned everything I learned is from making a mistake. You know, I mean, you throw it on the laser. Nope. You know, immediately it's not good. So, um you learn from that, you can do pretty well. Now, as I mentioned when we were getting everybody on board, I love the Union Brewery kit, and you said that you got a lot of response from that one, right? Oh, yeah. We, we, we've been selling the heck out of that one. Um, in fact, uh, we were supposed to uh, start shipping that thing. I, I had fast-tracked a bunch of kits before the holiday season, and I still had all these, these instructions to write, which if you've ever written instructions. So I, I always give myself a little bit of leeway after I finish the kit to, to, to write the instructions. We're supposed to ship the start shipping the Union Brewery December 1. Uh, we shipped the majority of them out today, and, and the rest will go out tomorrow of the uh, of the early pre-orders. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been great. I mean, that was a kit. Uh, Jake Johnson, who's an S-scaler out here on the on the West Coast, He's done some drawing for me. The the saloon, um, which was based off the Carissa Saloon, uh, it's an old historic site. He did the drawings for me for that. Um, he had he had given me a bunch of prototype pictures of different cool brick buildings and so forth. And this was a, as I was going through them, this was one of the photos that I first saw from him that was I was completely in love with when I saw the black and white photo of this building. When I decided to do it, it, it just it was a lot of fun. The shutters are very unique on it. You know, they open over each other, and you have to when you install them, you actually put them over each other, just like the prototype. Uh, you have them closed, whatever. It's just it was a lot of fun to do it. The signs, um, we put some instruction in there um, on how to do the the brick. The, you know, it's on one of Scotty Mason's uh, DVDs. I believe it's the second one, and where I got it from, where you you spray the. Uh, you spray the the paper down with with a with a matte sealer. You put it in water. Get the you take the white paper off the back or as much as you can, and then you rub it into the brick. And it looks like it's painted on. So we had some instruction on that in there, which was which was a little advanced, um, and uh, just had a lot of fun with it. So you know, it's 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 photos like that that inspire, and they don't take that long to do when, when you're really into it. You know, when you really just everything flows so it's 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 been fun that was that was a fun kit to do um and i'm looking forward to hearing the response from people when they start getting it oh it's just i mean the ambiance of it like you said with the signage the uh now the the example that we're seeing on your website yeah and i like the way that you can just scroll over and it uh amplifies you know it zooms in yep 
Okay, just for those out there who don't know, let me ask the question. Now, that one, the brick and stuff has been weathered, right? Um, well, yes. I mean, it doesn't come like that. It comes looking like bare basswood with, with brick on it. Okay. Uh, we have uh, different instructions on our on our website uh, on, on how to get that look. Um, you know, that's one of the things is when you do a lot of brick, you you, you, you tend to just it's very it comes very easy after a while. You know, obviously the more you do something, and um, we've been doing the same way we've been doing our brick for a while now. Um, I I still prefer the uh, the um, uh, Bragdon's used brick weathering powder put on with a 99% alcohol. Uh, you can use 91%, but I, I like the 99. And, and uh, what I've been doing lately is is just lightly dry brushing some acrylic brick color paints just over the top of the bricks, just to you know in case you know you know sometimes when you get wood, you know wood can be you know darker in one area, lighter in another. You know sometimes you know your, your corners may be slightly different. When you're painting them, yes. when you're painting them with regular uh, acrylic paint, all that just disappears. You don't see it. When you use a weathering powder, a lot of times you can get a little transparency there. Uh, so I'll just hit it just lightly with the acrylic paint, coat it up with uh, uh, weathering powder, um, put on as as like a paste with 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 alcohol. Once that dries, and brush it off with a stiff brush just to get any excess, you know, powder that's piled up somewhere out of there. Spray it with a hairspray to seal it, um, just to hold it in there, and then come back when that's dry, and I use Bragdon's um, uh, lime white mortar. It's not a regular weathering powder. This isn't a powder that if you mix it with alcohol or something, it's going to paint everything. These are, okay. these are heavier chips and pieces that are, that are in there that want to settle. So I just, you know, Bragdon says to just wipe it on there dry and brush it into the mortar lines and spray it with some alcohol, and they'll set it, and that works. Um, I like to put a light wash, just mix the uh, alcohol with that lime white, put it on there with a with a big brush. You don't want to brush it in. You just want to dab it in. It goes down into the things. It dries, and the mortar lines pop out. You need it some more, just do another coat because it's light or in different areas, and it's and it's yeah. fairly simple. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I like to eventually when I get some time, more resources to, you know, do some of my own videos, not, not like what Scott does. I'm not talking about that. I would, I would love to do some of those with Scott at some point as, as we've just, as we've potentially talked about, but I'm just talking about for, Hey, here's a how to, you know, for our products and, and let the customers see it uh, instead of being told it. I, you know, I think that's going to be a, a great way to go and, and other guys do that. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, something we hope to do soon. Okay. Well, it's just a, it is such a great looking kit. And the uh, the way you prepared the shutters, that green, that just weathered green, golly, excellent, excellent. Yeah, well, that was, I, I got a color, you know, you know, guys, there's no need to have to create stuff off the top of your head because life is beautiful out there now. I mean, I just got a photograph of, of the original building in color and noticed that, you know, the shutters were actually kind of a metal type of shutter. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it had a green and, a, and a, a sort of a brown in there in the middle. And I just sort of copied, you know, uh, what the photo was. There was no need to – I was kind of nervous. You know, as you put it in, you know, it got Comstock samples, you know, because the Comstock mine, the silver mine that was discovered uh, right up from there. You get the Virginia and Truckee Railroad that goes through there. So it's a very yeah. historic area and a lot of great buildings and – 
it's just a classic Western brick storefront, you know, with the two entries and, and so forth. So, again, it was a fun kit. It really was. And you know what? Change the signs. It can be almost anything, you know. Um, if you're not modeling, uh, you know, the Tahoe area, then, uh, you know, any any old sign will work. So, I mean, that's even a great – the worms are background kit. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> I mean, a lot of the typical background kits you see out there by some of the companies, be they plastic or whatever, just, I don't know, this thing just jumps out. Even though it's a background kit, it just, it's a different level. Well, we got a limited edition full-size version of, of that background flat. Um, yeah, I saw The, the Wormser uh, Furniture Company was, you know, based out of Fresno. Um, you know, there was a lot of rail activity that was was spun up back in the turn of the 19th century when, when the building was built and it was just unique. Um, to be truthful with you, I have a lot of, a lot of customers who have been asking me for brick caps to, to cap the top of the walls. And, yeah. and I hadn't done it for a while. And when I saw this building and I noticed that it had an inset roof, you know, it wasn't one of those, Hey, you just, just throw the roof over the top and have it overhang. You know, we, we got to talk about adding brick to the inside walls, you know, so that it, surrounds the roof you get the cornices that go all around and now i got to do the brick cap so we decided to figure out how to engineer the brick cap properly and um, do it in this kit and it was great it was also the first kit that we uh, have 3d printed parts in the uh the the concrete uh platform ramp and the downspouts are all uh 3d printed um uh, we have a we have a 3d printer here um one of the maker bots and uh, so that was a lot of fun doing that, doing something different. Um, you know, we're looking forward to doing a lot more things with stairs and, and so forth now that the, the 3D printer proves to do very well with uh, HO scale concreted uh, areas. So you see more of that coming from us soon. Okay. So, all right. So we've touched on a new aspect, a relatively new aspect of the business with the 3D printer. So right now that's just targeted at enhancing uh, new products, existing products? You know, the, the 3D printer, you know, it's it's great, um, but it's not great for everything. Uh, you're not going to get high-detailed HO or even O-scale uh, uh, products. You know, as Jim can attest, I, I 3D printed a couple uh, rails for him. And the rails and stuff look good. There are other things that look good. But, you know, the little bolts and stuff like that, it, it's just, you know, they've got newer technology now that's come out that I'm sure does a better job. But for the one that I have right now, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to do with these. I've used it for larger scale projects and, and so forth, and it does a great job. And I just said, hey, well, I got the thing sitting here. Let's do let's see if I can do some stairs. And I wanted to do some stairs that had the holes already inset with them for railings and everything. So I drew up the stairs printed it out, and I was like, this is cool. And then, you know, you, you turn that into whatever you're going to turn it into for the next kit. But it does a great job with a little bit of texture that's on it for concrete. So we're going to be doing a lot of that. The parts themselves paint very easily. Um, they glue very easily. So there's no issues there. It's just a matter of, you know, what kind of detail you want. You know, so we'll, we'll see what that produces. We, you know, we, we, we knew that going into it that it wasn't going to be, you know, like a Shapeways printout. I mean, uh, you know, those guys are using crazy stuff. I mean, even just 
just watching a show the other day, NASA is, is 3D printing, um, you know, aluminum parts for their spaceships that work the same exact as a milled part and are 65% cheaper. So, uh, you know, the technology is going to be growing and growing and growing. So it's just not what people think it is right now, really, when you, the home stuff. And we've got a good machine that, that does very well, you know, so give it some time. But it's, it's a good asset to have because we make everything. I don't buy titchy windows or Grantline windows. Not that they don't make good windows and all, but it's hard because our brick is tries to be scaled to almost, you know, you know, real life scale. And as you start doing kits, you know, you find out that, you know, the titchy window doesn't fit in between your, your brick rows well enough. You know, you, you, it's going to be cutting through mortar lines and cutting into bricks. And, and here we're, we're able to adjust the window sizes and the door sizes to fit precisely in with the brick and the inlaid lentils and, and different things that we do. So making our own windows and, and making all of our own parts, you know, uh, is, you know, keeps us from having to make, you know, limited runs. We did a limited run on this on this worm, big worms are because it's a big kit. There's a lot of parts. It takes a, it takes some time to cut. We we know we want to rotate kits in and out and, and do different things and, and keep it moving. So it's interesting every day. Chris, you there? Did we lose? I am. I am. All right, you do what I do on my podcast. I mute everybody and go do something else. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I've been battling my, my internet Chris over here. Guy. Chris, you're, you're, Chris is a train guy, so I'm boring him. Uh, no, no, no. It's um. I've been battling my internet over here. It seems like the the snow's kind of run amuck on my internet connection. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wasn't even your uh, picture wasn't pulsating in and out, and I thought, golly, I wonder if he stopped breathing. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm listening, and um, I've muted myself for now, and until um, I can participate a little bit more on uh, the conversation, and also my my internet. Jimmy, go back. I know you participated in the anniversary of the Balboa Park. Yes, we are. Uh, we're currently working with the museum on on putting some buildings together for a. Um, uh, it's an outdoor garden scale layout um, based on uh, how the you know how the park was in 1915. Most of those buildings were meant to be torn down. If you've ever been to Balboa Park, they're beautiful. Uh, but they weren't supposed to be there afterwards. It was for the uh, the, open, the grand opening of the Panama Canal. That um, was where they had the big festival. So they're having a 100-year anniversary. And the San Diego Model Railroad Museum, and they've already started the construction in the back. Um, it, it's looking great uh, where we're going to build this. Uh, Bob Treat is, is, is a local guy who's done a lot of uh, G-scale layouts and, and design for, for folks, has designed it. And we... Um, we're doing uh, buildings for it, uh, the 3D printing uh, that's needed for the buildings. Uh, I'm doing all the finished work. There's another guy who's now helping who is uh, using a CNC machine to cut out all the precision board for us so it's a lot easier and quicker. And there's a lot of challenges. You know, uh, we're, we're supposed to be launching um, March time frame next year. There's a lot to do. You know, it's, it's, been, it's been a very interesting project. A lot has been learned. Uh, the folks have been great. Um, we're trying to come in on schedule. Jim Lincoln is, is, uh, is, has done the 3D drawings for the, for the more complex items, uh, for it already. The station's been done and delivered. It's, it's, uh, it looks great. Um, these are all trolleys. These are all, you know, there's no trains going through. It's all trolleys. They're going to, uh, it's, it's going to be the type of exhibit where it's interactive. 
Um, there'll be buttons and stuff on the outside where people can turn lights on or play music. You know, they'll be doing the Spreckles Organ Pavilion uh, and the, the big California Tower, the Museum of Man, um, the icons there, the, the bell tower. And the cool thing is, is they're going to be doing um, the interactive stuff. So they're developing an app for your phone. So when you walk out into the exhibit, your phone will automatically go, boom, do you want to, install, do you want to run the app? And it will run the app, and they can control things within the exhibit. And then as soon as they leave the exhibit, it's, it's off their phone. So they're, they're trying all these new educational things. Um, uh, Anthony Ridenauer, who's the, uh, uh, the director at the museum, uh, is uh, very excited about the project and, and uh, you know, has been driving all that. I don't have anything to do with any of that stuff. I, I just build buildings and help them design the buildings, get the 3D print done, and make sure all the finished work looks good in the end. So, um it's a uh, big project, though. Big project. Well, great, great. And it's great working with the museum. I've done, you know, many things for them in the past, and and those those fellows there are, are wonderful. That 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 museum is the work that they've done in there uh, on some of their, uh, especially the uh, La Mesa Club with the, Tallahat- the Tallahatchie Loop and everything is uh, it's just amazing work they do in there. Those guys. So, okay. so it's good to work with them. You know, uh, Jim will have some more stuff for you to do soon. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's one of those projects that is a lot of things that change in it. And you're dealing with the city, uh, arch- architects and, and, you know, waiting for approvals for this and that. And, and it's, it's pretty political crazy when you get into the museum because it, it, it took them even time to be, given a slot for where they can be approved to build this layout. They would deny, oh, you can't touch this tree or this tree as part of it because the historic, I mean, it's it's just mind-boggling. I'm glad I don't have anything to do with that part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That would so, be annoying. Yeah, it's yeah. been fun. It's been, you know, some... And Jim, you're coming down in January. We're going to get you over to the museum, meet the guys, yep. get you some back... back uh, uh, backstage tours there. That's where all the magic is getting to see the behind the scenes where, where most guys yeah. can't see it. I mean, there's almost 50% more layout back there that you wish you could see from the front that's in the back. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, yeah, it's really Well, shoot, this sounds like a happening event over in California. Maybe I need to come and visit my wife and plan a little side trip down there. There you go. Yep. That's I'm going, a lot uh, of things uh, down here. Gonna visit San Diego for a couple of days, and then I'm taking the uh, Coast Starlight from San Diego up to San Jose for um, the 100th anniversary show of Model Rail Radio. You know, uh, I, I keep meaning to get back on that show. I, I thought I was going to do it last Saturday, and I didn't get a chance to. Um, it's just been crazy. It can be hard, you know, because you know just timing. It's, I, I work Saturday night, so. Well, I mean, you know, like I said, I keep saying we're very small, um, and. Right. We're, you know, we're three and a half years into it, and it's still me and my wife and the same one laser. Uh, and, you know, we just we just get so busy, you put your head down and do what you got to do. Um, but we will be getting another laser here shortly, which would be great. Uh, it's going to enable a lot of different things. But, um, you know, I can't complain. It's the hardest I've ever worked. I've, I've director of operations for, you know, for, you know, for publicly traded companies and all these different things. And I, I never worked as hard in my life doing this job. And uh, it's rewarding. It's fun. I love it. You make good stuff, so. Well, that's what we hope to do. You know, we're not perfect every time. No one is. Um, 
but we try to guarantee everything. If I've had guys <laughs> guys call me up and go, um, you know, because I, I, I'll, on walls that aren't identifiable, you know, if you don't know exactly which way is up because it could go either way, <laughs> I put a stamp on it. And I had this guy email me. He goes, Jimmy, I'll buy them. Um, your saloon kit, um, I need another, uh, I have an internal bracing as a plywood base that interlocks, and the outside is a, a 116th laminate of the, the split log. And he goes, I was so fixated on this side up that <laughs> he glued the, the, the split log part to the bracing. So we put it in backwards. So the split log had the glue on it. You know, he had, oh, so wow. he's like, this is done. You know, I'm like, don't worry about it. I just sent him another set. You know, I mean, I want you to finish it. I had a guy once call me up and be like, um, I just got your kit in the mail. It's great. And, you know, I took it out of the mailbox and it was still in the box and I put it on my, my coffee table. And when I got home from work today, the dog had torn it apart. Oh, no. And he goes, it's just splinters. Eh? My dog likes to rip up boxes. <laughs> I sent him another kit. Come on, man. You paid for it. I'd like to see you build it. You know, that's the only thing. Is, is if you're going <laughs> to build it, I want to see you have success with it, because then you'll buy another kit, or you'll buy someone else's kit and try it. I mean, if, if, if we all think that way, we'll all sell a lot more kits. Yeah, the dog ate my kit. Dude, golly, what a spin it on an was old dog. not uh, a lie. He, he sent me a picture. I told him he didn't have to. <laughs> um, you know, use that lie. Use it once on me, fine. Twice, it's not going to happen, right? That's right. Just next person to use is not going to have the success. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is actor Michael Gross, and you're listening to the Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. The... Uh, you know, you mentioned you were writing instructions, and I've done a little bit of that, and I can't – I just don't even want to think about the the planning, the mental process, you know, that you, uh, you know, Scotty Mason, all those people that do kits, go through to write that. So this weekend, you know, I had to put a new top on the Jeep. I looked at the weather forecast, and I went, okay, time to button this baby up. And the, the factory top after nine years had died, so I bought uh, a top made by the same company that does the OEM parts. And it's what they call frameless, so it doesn't have metal frame. It uses the roll cage of the Jeep for support. And all the pictures I saw, you know, the plexiglass just looks like glass because it's so stretched so tight. So I get this thing in, let it sit out in the sun and uh, warm up so I start putting it on and I get the uh, side windows in and I hang the rear curtain and it's like five inches too narrow and I go there is no way that this plexiglass you know plexiglass really doesn't stretch is going to go from 40 inches to 45 inches to fill this back thing called the lady Monday and she goes I gave her the dimension she said no that's right that works I said ma'am I know you know your business and know you know your product, but I'm going to have to see some data that shows me that a 40-inch piece of plexiglass will stretch to uh, fit a 45-inch hole because all it is is these big commercial zippers. There's no fabric there. And so she says, well, okay, and I'm going to tell you how to put this on. And so I said, all right, tell me what to do. So... It made sense, but it it greatly deviated from the printed instructions. It even deviated from the uh, the company's YouTube website. You know, you know, I, I 
what I found about instructions, okay, yeah. is the more I write them, yes, the easier it does get. But I also find myself now more paying more attention to other instructions that come with other products for whatever it may be, whether it be fixing the toilet or whatever. Because I know when I write an instruction, there are certain things I put in there for a reason. And if you don't read it, you're not going to get it. So I, I kind of respect the instruction now, uh, you know, just because they do make a difference even when you know how to do everything. You know, there, there's sometimes it's just – yeah, I, I get it, and, and and that's the last thing I want is to to have something like that in an instruction where, you know, a, a guy would, you know, hey, listen, don't do it like the instructions say. Um, I mean, when I when I do these kits, uh, we I build it up, you know, when you're building it for the first time, it's like scratch building, right? You're not necessarily going in the order that the customer should put it together, so you have to be mindful of that, you know. So once you get it together and go, okay, great, we go. Well, how should the customer build it now? Because you got this step to this step. You can't put this in ahead of this because this gets in the way and this goes here. And if they don't get that right, so, you know, you, you document it. We don't try to have real complex instructions. We try to use a lot of photos um, and then with the words so that you can sort of look at it and go, if I don't fully understand. But the best test that I found is is my wife. My, my wife is not a model builder at all. Um, she has a whole completely different background. I mean, not even anything close. So the fact of having to how to assemble a window, these things that you know we're used to seeing, and we have a basic idea of it, she has no clue. So if she can read the instructions and look at the photos and look at the parts of the kit and go, oh yeah, I know that's exactly what that means. It goes here, there, that will go there. If she gets it, I know most people should get it who who buy the kit because again, you have to address, you know, also when you look at my kits, they're not overly modeled you know there's not a ton of detail parts there's not figures and all these boxes and stuff one i never liked that to begin with as a modeler because then everybody's got the same scene on their layout so i figure i'm going to give you a good detailed building you can build your scene from a million different ways and that way everyone has something unique you have to address that new modeler you know or the guy who's only built a couple of kits we do these clinics where we do a, a Build one of my kits in the clinic, one of the smaller ones will do. And most of them are new modelers. you, you got to teach them right so that they stay in and, and uh, want to learn and do more, you know. I mean, the guy who buys one kit from me, I want him to buy three or four because he's happy with it, and he finishes them. And again, we learn, we've learned a lot over the last three and a half years, you know. Um, and that's that's the best part is you just keep growing, you keep changing, you keep trying new things. And um, Sounds good. I mean, that's a that's a very good approach on that. It's like when you first first start doing decoders, and then it, all of a sudden it clicks in, and you understand how the instructions of stage, you know, step two, fit the whole picture. And so I understand exactly what you're saying. I like the I like the example of the wife test. That's uh, pretty much like an acid test. Good job. Well, it just makes sense. You know, you, you use what you use what you have, right? Not to mention she does a good job of. I am by all means not an English expert uh, at all, uh, vocabulary, any of that stuff. And so, you know, she'll catch those mistakes and and uh, proofreads, which is good. It's good to have that double check for you. Yeah, that uh, for me, that's a pet peeve. If, if there's bad grammar, misused, uh, misused words and stuff in the instructions, it just casts a shadow of doubt over the, the whole product I'm using. So I think that's good that you've got your wife doing that. 
you've mentioned the business is growing. You've got another laser coming in. You've already added a 3D printer. You're going to have to be buying a bigger house or what? Running out of room? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good one there. Uh, we're we're in fact. Uh, we're very, very cramped here. We, we set up shop in our two-car garage, which is just nothing but, you know, desks and shelving units and, you know, the lasers and all that kind of stuff. The, you know, the cool thing is, is is my wife has always been very organized, but I'm also a Virgo, which means I've got to be organized. So uh, I've had a few people come over who thought I was a little bit bigger than what, what we are, and they, they walked in and they went, I can't believe you produce what you produce in this space. Uh, and they couldn't believe how well organized it was. We get part. I mean, every every ounce of space is limited. You've got to use everything you got. But I mean, that's I'm not the only guy doing this. There's a lot of guys that that work out of their home and 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 have that. You know, more lasers, more shows, more business. Yeah, I'll get a bigger house one day. But um, uh, right now, this is a cool spot. Now, curious. You know, because there's a certain amount of uh, I would guess there is a certain amount of uh, byproduct and fumes off the. The cutting process is that is that a correct assumption? Uh, uh, the laser itself is is a is a maintenance pig. I mean, it wants to be maintained all the time. You you, you know the cleaning of it, the dusts, um, uh, you know the the different products that you're cutting and engraving. Um, uh, you know it's very flammable. Those those dusts build up too much. Uh, the laser can catch fire. Uh, I've known other uh, guys. Um, uh, in fact, I believe Bar Mills said that like three of their lasers catch on fire at one point a few years back. Um, it's dangerous. You have to be careful. And, and so, yeah, um, the exhaust, for us, it's 90% wood. And most people around here are burning wood anyway. So uh, we've got a good uh, ocean breeze. I have a, a – Oh, okay. Basically, I have an exhaust that goes way out into my backyard and it just picks up a breeze. And, and uh, all my neighbors, you know, the last three years have been – totally awesome about it, you know, because I, I make sure that, you know, we respect them um, and, you know, try not to run the laser, you know, during, you know, you know certain weekends and, you know, just, you know, you just, you'd be respectful. There's not going to be a problem. So uh, we've knocked on wood there. Um, it's, it's really not so bad anyway. Once in a while uh, we, we cut for Hartford uh, products. Um, you know, we do a lot of some of his uh, F scale uh, car kits for him. And he's got some real thick basswood, almost 300,000 uh, thick, uh, and that stuff really stinks. Uh, once in a while, we'll cut some acrylic stuff. That that stuff will stink, but uh, for the most part, um, it's not so bad if you you know have a plan and you maintain it. I tried the filters. Um, the uh, you, you buy the machine that that takes all the air in, and the air exhaust that comes out has no smell to it. Well, they're right. Uh, it does that. But I would have to change my filters twice a month, and it would cost me $1,200 a month just to put new filters, HEPA filters and charcoal filters in. It's, like, not worth it to do that. So you just, you just like I said, you, you treat others the way they want to be treated. The neighbors know what we do. It's no secret. You know, they're having a party, and I want a busy season. I want to burn on a Sunday because I'm I'm backed up. Uh, I won't because they're having a pool party or something. You know what I mean? It's, it, I mean, it's, it's a no-brainer there. The 3D printer is great. Um, the material that it uses, there's no exhaust, barely any smell that comes from it. It can sit in any room anywhere in the house and just run, 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 and you barely know that uh, it was there from the smell, which is, which is uh, very nice. Packaging. How do you package your kits? Uh, anyone who does this uh, knows the, the chore. Uh, my wife uh, is 
without her, she she you know we both run the laser, but but she's the one who will do the initial inserts for the packaging, the new products, and you know uh, you know when you have. There's lots of different, all the different plastic bags that you, you you heat seal and stuff, different sizes, different lengths, different widths. You're going to make sure your products fit within those sizes properly. You know, we lay out the parts, and she bags them individually uh, for different different parts of the kits and, and puts them together. She, today was the first day we did the Union Breweries. Uh, I boxed them all up. And I was, I kind of opened up, because I don't, she just does her own thing. I just go, here are the parts, you know. Go do your thing, and and I came up and I was looking at the box today. I opened it up and I said, because I look at it, because I'm a modeler too. I get excited at you know opening a new kit and looking at all the parts that are inside, and they were bagged so nice that everything was just it was like oh I can't wait to build this thing. So uh, it, all those things matter, you know when when you're teeny weeny and you got a limited number of of, of customers out there, uh, you want to make sure they're happy when they get it. And and she, in fact, I I get on her all the time. I'm like. You spend too much money on packing material. You're packing that stuff too tight, too good. And uh, you're spending too much money on it. And she's like, have we ever had anyone come back and say my product was damaged when we shipped it to them in the last three years? I went, no. She goes, quiet. (laughs) Nope. No problem. Your argument is invalid. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. It's a team effort, you know, um, 100%. You know, she doesn't know much about the design and and the and in the products and the modeling of it, but you know she knows that if we don't ship them out there and we don't get them packaged, and you know she doesn't keep the 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 lists done of of what has to be cut, you know, you know what we tell people when they order from us is, you know, we've got a five to fifteen business day turnaround time because a lot of the stuff is is cut to order. Um, you know, we keep a lot of stuff in stock that we can, but you know when we get you know tons of orders in. A lot of it we're, we're cutting to order. We cut for other manufacturers um, as, as well. So you, you've got to you know, have a good laser schedule, especially when you only have one right now. So uh, she, she does a good job at uh, managing all that. Let's, I recall from when we talked once before you mentioned you were doing uh, work for other producers. That's good. That you know, absorbs a lot of overhead that way. That's a good deal. Well, it's been good because I've been able to share some of, of my you know, knowledge with some other manufacturers who, who, um, you know, had great ideas, but would say, you know, if I'm going to cut for you, why wouldn't you think about drawing it this way or, or adding tabs and slots to make it easier for the customer to assemble or this. And, and, and those guys have, have changed those things and, and have, you know, had great success with it, you know, and that, that's, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, you help him again. Someone else builds a kit and they like it. They're going to buy someone else's kit, no matter who they are. That that helps us in our industry. So, um, so we do what we can. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun seeing other guys' products and what they're doing and 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 having relationships with them. It's all part of it. Okay, I I know, and this is just selfish, but really wish you guys had a uh, a dealer level. Well, you know, I. So I could bring it into the store. But, but here's the thing, Paul. Okay, I, I have done some stuff with some resellers, um, you know, where I have, you know, certain, you know, buys and, and discounts and, and so forth. But, you know, to really be able to do that properly, especially getting into even the distribution channels with, you know, say, uh, Walters or or uh, Micromark or, or, or any of those, you got to be able to produce the product fast enough. And I'm just not comfortable with the one laser to start getting so many orders in that, uh, you know, you can't, um, you know, fill your regular orders. 
Uh, and that's a growing pain that I love to have. Uh, it's, it's certainly not a complaint. Um, I know there's a lot of guys that do what I do, have two or three lasers, um, and that makes a big difference. So working towards that, um, you know, you go too fast and you're going to hurt yourself. Uh, you go too slow, you can hurt yourself. So, you know, we, we're trying to to manage it properly and, and um, not get too far ahead of ourselves. Another reason why, you know, not doing a lot of big shows for us uh, was strategic. Not, not only did I not have the product line in the beginning that I have now, but, um, you know, if I can't show up at a show with a whole bunch of material to sell, um, it's not worth doing the show. So with a second laser, that'll make that a lot easier. No, I understand your your business model and your reasoning. That's, like I said, it was personal and selfish because I would love to be able to sell your your kits there because we have that, you know, as a, a lot of outlets do, they've got that uh, layer of clientele that just wants excellent kits and uh, they go beyond even some of the other guys that are already out there with laser cut kits yours that are just at a you know a higher level and i've got a customer base for that but i understand why you do what you do yeah you know like i said you 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 want to you know you want to do it right and i know that if i went out to all these stores and all this stuff I, i'd be hammered and, and i want to be hammered i want to have a ton of business coming in any of us does but if you can't produce it you're only going to alienate yourself you're only going to irritate people and um and that, that we don't want to do. So, we, we, you know, the, the good thing is, is like I said before, is is I have what a lot of guys don't have is a great online presence, uh, great um, uh, uh, social networking. I mean, the Facebook, the, tw- the Twitter stuff, uh, you know, we get a lot of business from. And um, having that already, which, which you know, brings in plenty of revenue for the business, now you add the shows on top of that. And, and um, we're going to be looking forward to that because we know we're going to grow exponentially once we're able to do that. Okay. Oh, no. You're doing the business right and certainly wouldn't want you to deviate from that. Because uh, downstream, when you're when you're bigger and, you know, like the Amazon and Model Railroad kits, then we'll do a podcast about that. Yeah, I don't know if I want to get that big. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like I said, it's um, everyone's got to do something to make money. And... Uh, we, we've been able to be lucky he, enough. If he gets to that big, I don't think he's going to be on our podcast. Sure, he will. He'll remember his roots. Uh huh. I won't get that big. <laughs> I don't want to get that big. You know, there's there's more headaches that come. You know, there's just enough headaches now. You know, the more money you make, the more problems you have. You know, but no, it's like I said. We we I try to be new. I try to be different. I try to put stuff out there that you know people really can't get elsewhere. So far, like I said, we've had a great response, and, and we just want we want to keep that level of uh, quality up and, and uh, you know, keep growing. It's tough, man, creating new new products by, you know, think about it, you know. I get to take all my own photos, do all my own Photoshop work on these photos. they got to look right, you know. I mean, it's uh, – Jim knows. It's just not easy. Hey, I know, too. <laughs> you know, being in uh, Athern and doing – doing the research and development that takes two years oh absolutely nothing but just behind the scenes coming up with uh, the actual part that you're going to do no we're not talking about like just any old part (laughs) this is going to be like the the full thing you know so yeah takes a lot of planning absolutely any of this stuff does i mean you want it to be used properly you want it to look properly 
you've got to do the research, and, and that's certainly part of it. Okay. Well, speaking of research, tell me about, <laughs> tell me about Diorama Dirt. Oh, man. <laughs> it's still a, it's still kind of a, a laughing thing around here because I never thought I'd ever sell dirt in my life, and it wasn't part of the business plan. <laughs> No, but I'm sure it's a legitimate product. It just made me well, you know, laugh when I saw the, the listing. Let me tell you something. It is one of my best-selling products. I cannot keep it in stock. I mean, and and trust me, it's 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 mind-blowing because, you know, when I first started, I was living in Vegas and um, uh, was doing just my own modeling, uh, was working on my dad's layout, and, you know, we, we've got great dirt out there. And at, at the same point in time, not too much before that, Scott Mason says to me, I, I need that light colored dirt. Um, uh, the, the, and he was showing me some pictures of Bob Van Gelder's stuff uh, from South River Model Works. Bob's a friend. And Bob is, he, Scott's like, and now Scott is, goes way back with Bob. And, and Scott goes, Bob, I want, give me some of the dirt that you use on your layout. I want that light, that, that nice light color. And Bob's like, I ain't telling you where my stash is. And, and so, like, Scott's like, Bob thinks that this dirt is, like, you know, super secretive national security stuff, and he won't give any to anybody. He won't tell me where he gets it. And I said, oh, all right. I, and so I had gone out not far from where I was living and got some nice dirt. And you got to do a lot of work to it, you know, from sifting it down. you got to bake it. You know, you've got to really clean it up and, and, uh, and, and do some things to it so that you can use it and sell it. So I started posting photos of some dioramas that I was using with it. And I was in it. I literally was surprised. I was inundated with emails. Where'd you get that color dirt? Where'd you get that color dirt? Uh, my backyard almost like it, it's decomposed granite. Okay. There's no clay in it. So the clay is where you get those dark colors when it changes colors and you lay it down. Anything with clay in it's bad. So we, we take this, this decomposed granite and especially once you really bake it down, you, you're baking all of that moisture out of it. It turns so light. And my philosophy with modeling is is you, you can go get your dirt from your prototype, and you're going to put it down, and it's going to look like mud. Um, if you start your base with a nice light color, all everything else is going to pop off the screen with it, okay, because you're not muddying your starting point. Uh, it doesn't matter if the dirt is lighter than your prototype. No one's going to notice that because as you put your grass in and your trees and this and that and your buildings, it's going to just be that, that – you know how you, when you paint a painting, you don't start with a black canvas or a brown canvas, right? So it's that philosophy. So I said, okay, well, I got the right color dirt. So diorama dirt, the right color, and we started selling it. And ever since then, I, I got to drive back to Vegas every – I usually get enough to last me at least six months, but, you know, I'm almost out now. Uh, I'm sure after the holiday sales here with, with the Black Friday stuff, it's it's probably going to wipe me out. And, <laughs> Black Friday and, opening on diorama dirt. <laughs> well, I actually started my Black Friday sale early this year. It's already started because, uh, I, you know, it, it was so late this year that if guys wanted stuff for Christmas, they weren't going to get it um, potentially. So we, we wanted to ensure that guys that wanted the sale and needed to get stuff for Christmas, they could do that. Well, yeah, on your website, it starts now, 1114. Yep. Yeah, which a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. Last, last Friday it started, and, um, you know, like I said, sales are always great. People always buy, and, and Black Friday, this is a busy time of year, so we're excited. Uh, but we want to make sure people get the product in time, so 
It just was smarter for us to do that. But it, it, now I see, after I did that, I just didn't notice it. All these other stores, Black Friday starts Friday. I know. So it's, I'm not the only one doing it. Well, how much diorama dirt do I get? What's your standard package? I think the package is about 20 ounces. Okay. Okay. It's in a, uh, I think it's a 24 ounce jar or something, but it's we put about 20 ounces in it or so, and it it covers it covers well. I mean, uh, we like to use it through a nylon first. Uh, that way, you have your base, and then anywhere there's not going to be a road or a path, I put more glue down and, and put the raw dirt down, so it's got a little tiny bit more rock in it and gives you that illusion that this is a flat pathway and. I can put anything else down I want anything else. So, like I said, I, I have guys who, honestly, I, I, this is how crazy it is, man. And, and I had a guy who, he was having something, event going on at his layout, and he ordered like six jars of dirt, and he had them expressed next day. I mean, he paid like 70 bucks to ship this dirt to him. <laughs> oh, he just wants what he wants. I got guys in Europe who buy, you know, I mean, it's just like, they just love the stuff. And, you know, if people want to buy it, I'll make it. I have no problem doing that. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, it's not like we have a, a dump truck show up in the backyard and, and dump a yard of dirt in it for us to use. No, I take five-gallon buckets and I go to Vegas with a shovel. <laughs> and you know what the other funniest thing is? I was, I was in Vegas doing a show and had people saying, oh, man, how, what's your dirt? How do you get it like this? And I'd be like, go out over here. Okay, sift it down with like this, bake it like this, and you'll have this. You'd be like, yeah, here's your money. I'd rather buy it from you. So, um, yeah. So you know, it, and and my son, my my son who's 14, uh, and he's a modeler. He he likes to model and, and do things and help. He's great. He'll go out and do a lot of the the, the sifting for me. The, the you know the 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 the, the big early sifting stages, and and then I'll finish him off. But um, you know, he's the type of kid that's, you know, getting paid for this dad, you know, <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's great. Okay, well, you know, I saw it on there and I thought, I've got to make sure I ask Jimmy about diorama it, it, You know what? It's really nice. I mean, it, it just, when you put it on, I, I, I'm sure you can get it elsewhere. I mean, I'm not the only guy who has this, this stuff, I'm sure. Uh, but um, uh, Jim Elsner from... Uh, uh, Scenic Express, uh, he had come over at one of the shows we were together, and he's like, more guys should do this. You'd be surprised, Jim. Good job. He was, you know, egging me on about doing it in a good way. Uh, Jim's a good guy. Uh, so, like I said, I, I almost at one point, because I can sift this stuff down. I get some real nice ballast-looking stuff and all this other stuff that, you know, larger rock and stuff. And it's, I just can't find the time to bottle it and, and uh, try to sell it, you know. It's – it's um it's one of those things. It's like if I don't want to, I don't want to get into, you know, having a gravel quarry somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a nice add-on, uh, and um, you know, like I said, it, it keeps customers coming back for other things, and and they like it. That's all that matters to us is uh, is that those guys are using it and like it. And we've had guys send us photos. You know, they won contests and they used our dirt, and uh, you know, so it's it's nice to hear those things. Again, as long as anyone's modeling, if someone's opened a box. Or, or opened a bottle of dirt and they're doing something, then I think any of us in the industry is happy because that's what that's what fuels and drives it. Um, I see more and more young people coming um, and ordering from us. 
Uh, more and more guys that are in their mid thirties. Uh, we're doing work with some schools now that, that, that order stuff and, and, and so forth. So, um, you know, you, you just got to keep it fresh and, and keep the kids uh, involved. Okay. No, I agree. I agree. Plus you're building a legacy for them, something they can take over. Anything on your mind, uh, Mr. Lincoln? Yeah, he's got us on mute too. He ain't listening. I know oh, how these things say work. Because I know how these things work. Well, you're right, but that's beside the point. I am listening. I'm listening. I just had you on mute. I get it. And uh, we haven't heard from the dogs yet. That's because I've been on mute. Yeah, okay. Oh, I thought, okay. I thought she, she knows what I'm recording to stay quiet. No. <laughs> My guys normally, when I start recording, they start playing. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of that, my dogs are barking. Uh, continue the conversation. Let me let these puppies outside. I'm going to put my mic on uh, mute because they're barking at me, so I'm going to let them out for water. Uh, <laughs> hey, Jimmy, how long does it take you to come up with start to finish a kit, say one of your, your structures? Um, it depends on if there's going to be new techniques and new products involved in the structure or if it's going to be based on um, more existing structures. Our, our Robinson paper uh, mill uh, building, which is really only a, a very small portion of the Robinson complex uh, based out of uh, Bellis Falls, Vermont, which is uh, my, what my dad models. And I sort of grew up with that model and, and it was it was nice to, to do that one. That one really, I probably from the design to building it and having a complete uh, prototype ready for photographs. Also having, you know, I usually take photos in between, so for instructions and so forth. It was just under a week that that whole thing went together and was ready for sale. Because oh, wow. that, that's pretty fast, actually. Because, only because, um, you know, I had developed some new doors and windows for it, but that really isn't difficult to do. And it used our basic system of of corners uh, and and walls, uh, so there wasn't you know, a ton of new stuff to do to it other than, you know, how does this roof line going to go and how's that? And you, you figure that stuff out pretty quickly. The worms, it took me a little longer because there were a lot of new products, the brick caps, there were new uh, new lentils that were engraved in the walls that had to be created uh, and so mm -hmm. forth. The 3D printing parts, I had to draw them out and, um, and do a bunch of tests and, and, and get them to look right. So, you know, that, that one was probably... And I, I still push that one pretty quick. Uh, in fact, um, when I first released it, the worms are, I, I, I just finished it. It was probably a couple of weeks. And um, and this is, isn't instruction writing either. This is just getting the prototype done. And, and I, I sit back because what we like to do in some of our kits is use stencils. So we like that nice brick painted on look. So basically the worms are furniture company letters are cut laser cut um on a uh, uh on a sticky back material that you can peel the back off and, and stick it to the brick and then you know dry brush your white lettering in there and, and get it all looking okay. nice peel the thing off um it's not a permanent stick it'll come right off and you right. got your sign right so i i had done all that and i painted the building got it looking nice i put the signs on work on weathering them and I'm, I'm, I'm happy, right? And I start going in and typing the information for the website. Mm -hmm. And there's a red line under furniture. Oh, no. And I went, what? <laughs> Again, I'm not 
a vocab expert, English expert here, right? I make mistakes. And um, I look up and I have furniture with an A instead of an I. F-U-R-N-A-T-U-R-E. <laughs> and so here's this big kit with both sides done with furniture spelt wrong on it, right? And I go, oh, I'm supposed to release this tomorrow. I go, there's no Did repainting. Did you have to buy another vowel on that one? Yeah, there's no repainting it. You're going to ruin it. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so I released it with the wrong spelling, but I released it with the wrong spelling with a post on it that said, yes, I know it's spelt wrong. And the final one comes with the correct spelling. Uh, <laughs> I had, a, I just had to sort of swallow my pride and went, you know what? I'm not perfect. The kit looks great. It's fixed for the people who buy it. Um, and so be it. So, uh, so yeah, that was kind of embarrassing, but you know, like I said, you shrug it off. It, it happens. And my yeah. prototype still has furniture spelt wrong on it. The uh, the uh, the flat that we did, I made sure that the, the stencil was fixed so it spelt properly. But you know, it happens. I, I don't know what to say. Uh, but uh, so sometimes when you're when you're working and you're in a groove, and you just don't hit that spell check when you should, uh, kind of re remind you to slow back down and and look. Yeah, it, you know the the whole you know the biggest thing about designing a kit for me. Hmm. I think, you know, as we've progressed, you know, designing and building a prototype of a kit just gets easier and easier. Um, the hard part is falling in love with what you're doing. Okay. You know, like guys tell me, why don't you do something like this, something like that? And you look at them and you go, yeah, I know, but that's just boring or that's just, you know, you know, it's been done or you, you're trying to come up with something new, but you're also trying to come up with something that, you know, if I'm really into it, these last, you know, the Worms are the, 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 the Union uh, Brewery and and the uh, Robinson. I just had a blast with them. It wasn't it wasn't like work. It was nothing. I, I was just I wouldn't stop working on these kits because I just, you know, it, it, it you had that good, uh, the you know, putting together a, a lot of our kits come with a little story. You know, this was based on this kit from a historical standpoint, this, this, that, the other thing. And, and you know those those tell the tale, and and you, you sort of go go with that when you're when you're designing it. So that's important. Right. Sometimes it can take longer to really decide on a building. A lot of times it's like, yes, we'll do this building, but you know we're going to do some other things to it, some changes to it. Um, you know, and once you know once that's decided upon, that's when it gets easy. To me, that's the hard part is is is, is coming up with a building or, or finding a prototype and going, that's it. That's the one I want to do right now. Uh, because you're limited, you know, guys are limited with space. You can't just do, you know, a, a four foot by four foot building, uh, you know, as, as Scott Mason's in the middle of the building for somebody. You know, I do a kit like that. You sell it to three people. That's that's not what, uh, you know, what you're here for. So, um, you know, I, I find a lot of the smaller town uh, uh, buildings, uh, the smaller buildings, just uh, people pick up like crazy. Um, because they got oh, space, sure. they can squeeze it in somewhere. I got guys who email me and go, "What's the footprint on that again?" Because I'm making a template. I got to try to find a place to squeeze this into my layout, you know. So all those things matter um, uh, when we're looking at things. We ultimately right. want people to have something they can use, so not something that they like to get but can't use it and, and just you know wouldn't buy it. So that doesn't mean doesn't do me any good. Right. Oh, and the other thing out there, I put this out there about scales. You can't just go, okay, I got an S-scale kit here, press in the buttons and go, now I got an S-scale kit. Now I can print that out on the laser and have S-scale kits to sell to. Um, 
everything has to be re-engineered. Everything has to be built up. You know, I had a guy who emailed me and said, hey, we think about doing um, these couple of new kits in, in, in S-Scale. And I, and I said, yes, actually, I am thinking about it. Uh, I'm not sure when I'm going to be able to, to release them, but it certainly is on the on the docket. And the email comes back and goes, well, what, couldn't you, how about cutting me a few of them out? Um, and uh, what, what do you think the price would be? And I'm like, listen, if it was that easy, uh, we would have it out in every kit. But, you know, parts go together different. You go uh, different material sizes sometimes, and you have to re-engineer and make sure they go together. So, um, yeah, we get a lot of that. Can't you just print it out in O scale for me? No, it doesn't <laughs> work that way. I wish it did. Wouldn't that be nice? It would be. It would make life a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, going from HO to S is is probably the easiest transition, or from S to HO. I've, I've done it both ways. That That is probably why some guys just do HO and S, because they're very similar in different ways, and you can you can get it done a little bit quicker, but uh, O and N are different different animals. Right. Whether that makes sense or not to people or not, that's what I've found. Well, it's just physics and tolerances and things like that. Just They, they differ. It, yeah, oh, it's we're, just we're, so we're, we're limited <laughs> at times, and people don't realize it. it's not just a, oh, shrink that down to like 54.4% and print it out. Hey, you got N scale now, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, I want to do some chimney kits, you know, and I'm like, why can't I'm just going to do these kits with corners and just like a regular kit and build up these cool chimneys. But when you're in HO, you, you start looking at going, okay, well, I got a one eighth corner on either side, and that leaves me room for. Uh, one thirty-second piece of brick in the middle. Uh, people are going to be working with these teeny weeny parts. It's like mm, there's got to be a better way, and so you, you you move on to something else because you know parts just get too small, and and you don't you know guys aren't going to want to build all these little teeny teeny corner pieces to make this little chimney when they can get right. a casting somewhere, right? You know, so I was I was working on something with uh, Mike Rose, and the original design of it was perfectly fine for either me or him. If you're building it for yourself, no problem. But to ha- to actually ask somebody to do that, right? You know, they're not gonna. You know, one or two people may do it, but you certainly can't make a product out of it. Well, I mean, let, let's let's face it. You, there, there's some incredible modelers out there, and an incredible modeler is going to be able to take anything and make it the way they want. Um, you have to target the guys that are just starting to just pass that. You give him a good quality thing, the guy who's an expert can, like I said, can work his magic with anything. Um, so they're already going to do a good job on my kits. You know, all I want is the, the the guy who's only built two kits to feel comfortable and do a good job building it. Because, like I said, I, I can't express it long more enough that if you have bad instructions and you have kits and parts that don't fit together, a new modeler is going to get that and not know what to do with it and think that that's the norm and not buy a kit from anyone ever again, and that hurts everybody. So, um, and, and, and really, there's very few kit guys out there in these days that I've heard, you know, really puts together a bad kit. Um, I think guys are, are conscious, uh, you know, about that and um, work to engineer them the best that they can. And we try to do that. We try to find the easiest way for someone to build something, you know. Well, you know, there's not too many uh, Goldcraft-type models where you open up the box and it's a pile of sticks in there and, and you get you pull out the blueprints and, and, and you kind of whittle down, you know, the, the, the twigs and things into usable parts, you know. Oh, but, I, but I, think, like I think those days are kind of, uh, well, 
I, I think they're it, 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 they've they've definitely been replaced by like the laser kit, you know. Well, you know, when you can, you know, like all our bracing, okay, all our kits come with bracing. Well, I, yeah, I could easily just, you know, cut a 12-inch piece of one-eighth bracing and stick it in there and say, cut it to size and glue it on the wall. Uh, we laser cut the, the bracing so that all the bracing is cut to size. So all you got to do is take it out of the pack, put glue on it, and stick it there. So anytime we can do that, keep someone from having to cut a piece of wood to, to fit the kit somewhere, um, again, we feel saves time and, and makes life easier for the guy building the kit. Again, I, I like the craftsman style of it. I like building uh, the older FSM kits and stuff. I mean, there's, it takes it takes a certain knowledge of, of structure building and and uh, and just from doing it over and over again. So I like to keep a little bit of craftsmanship in the kits to, to make people still have to become craftsmen, but not make it so difficult that they don't they open it and close the box immediately because there's seven thousand pieces of strip wood that they have to glue together and and sort. So. Yeah, that, that I don't think anyone's doing that anymore. Not that I've seen anyway. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like that in a long time, you know. Mostly at train shows. I open up the box and go like, oh. <laughs> Close and do exactly what you said. Okay, well, what else is out there? You well, know? why are those kits still around? Because no one wants to build them. Because, because most of the new people are scared to death to, to touch them. And, you know, the guys who have been there done that, you know, been there done that. Uh, so they just keep yeah. reselling those kits all over the place, and you know it, it's it is what it is. They're fun to yeah. build. I, I think everyone should build those at some point once they get the knowledge or have the experience to to do it. Yeah, so you fun. know, there, there's there's also a level of effort in trying to make wood look like steel, and in most of the kits that I've encountered, it's it's something to do with not duplicating wood they're trying to duplicate steel so there's all this preparation you need to do to the wood in order to kind of smooth out the wood grain and stuff like that and it, it, it's just be a process beyond what most people want to spend right um you know I, I i'm sure that if it was a composite freight car or structure or something where it's wood duplicating wood it would be much less daunting you know well, we, we've tried to put all kinds of stuff on wood and you know what? It just doesn't work for everything. Um, you know, and there's other materials that you could use to, to simulate metals and other stuff uh, a, a lot easier than wood. So um, I, I guess for us, it's a matter of, you know, we build it, we paint it. Uh, and uh, if it passes that test, uh, then we can, uh, you know, let other people have it, you know, so it. Wood doesn't work for everything, especially what we do. There's a lot of things I just won't engrave into that's, that's on wood because it just don't look right. The wood grain has its own effect, and you got to be careful of that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I remember way back when, um, you remember Bev Bell? Oh, yes. Yeah. They would, they would yeah. do the, the custom painting of, uh, of uh-huh. after an equipment. Well, one of the yes. things they also made was a uh, freight car kit. Well, I recall you know, this, yes. Yeah, and they, it was a wood kit of a modern rail box style Providence and Worcester boxcar. And when I opened it, I mean, I bought it. I think it was taped shut or something. It was I mean, I, I still have this thing. It's very, very old. I open it up. I'm like, you know, what am I supposed to do with wood making it look like metal? You know, it there's a grain. You know, it doesn't work. <laughs> I didn't even look at the instructions. I've, I just closed it. I've had it for probably 20 years. I have no interest. I mean, that's some things. Plastic just does metal better. 
whereas wood does wood better. That's one of the things that I always prefer about, like, hand-laying track with wood ties. You can make wood like – it's very easy to make wood look like wood. Yeah. You have to work at getting plastic to look like wood because right. you, can, you can do a really nice job to it. You can paint it with a flat paint. You can hit it with dull coat. But in light, light always reflects off paint. It does not reflect off wood unless yep. you put a lot of paint on it. You know, it just absorbs the light, so you don't have that reflection. Well, I don't see where it's flat. Well, no, it isn't. You know, you, you have to know what you're looking at. You know, you have to know what you're looking at. But if you well, it's fuzzy wood, too. So if you don't fine sand it down and all that other stuff, it's it's just going to have that fuzz look to it as well. It's not going to look mm-hmm. like wood. Right. You know, I mean, um, I love wood. You can use it for a lot of things, but not everything. But not really metal. I mean, it does does great with brick. Does great with wood. Does great with stone. But not so much with metal or plastic or glass. Nah, we use the laser board stuff for anything that's going to be metal. It just, it's yeah. almost like a piece of, when it's cut small it's, and, and sharp on the edges, it's almost like a, a thin piece of brass. Right. Well, the other, th- well, okay, you're talking laser board, I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, but it's going to swell when you paint it. Right. The laser board is stuffed with resin, so it's, you can, you can darn near cut a piece of it and soak it in a jar of water overnight and not have too much happen to it. But don't try that at home, folks. It's good good, good material. It's good stuff. Did Paul get back yet? What's he doing with the dog? He's here. I sent a text out and said back. Well, welcome back, Paul. Thank you very much, Cotter. Yeah, it's chilly out there, Jimmy. I couldn't stand out there with that dog too much longer. What, it must be be 65 degrees or something? No, I think we're in the 50s out there. Oh, heaven forbid. (laughs) Well, I tell you what, about three this morning, I was wishing I had a heavier blanket on the bed. Oh. Oh. Hey, listen, you guys don't understand. You know, I was from the East Coast. I, I had <laughs> blood. You move out to the West Coast and be here for quite some time like I have, uh, your, your thick blood goes away real fast. And it gets no, it down doesn't. to be about, you know, 62, 58 no. degrees. And you're just like. It has nothing to do with that. We're just smart enough to put warm clothes on. Yeah, but we tolerate it. Well, you know, I did get up and close the bedroom windows. I thought, hey, the rope, and maybe that's why it's so cold in the room. Hey, I, I you know, we use the, the Boy Scouts to, they, they deliver and stack the wood for you when, when you buy it from them here. And, uh, yeah, we got a bunch of it from the Boy Scouts this year for the first time. And I tell you what, we've been having 80 degree temperatures. It's like mid November. This is nuts, though. But I'm complaining it's been too warm. I'm waiting for my winter. How about that, y'all, you East Coast guys? Well, and just it's been unseasonably warm in the southwest, and now it's unseasonably cold in the upper Midwest and moving toward, towards the uh, east coast. Even Dallas was below freezing the other day, but it didn't reach here. Nope. It's good modeling weather out here, Paul. That's yes, it is. Well, and good modeling weather here, too. I can remember walking across uh, up at Rantoul. Or even over and shoot at the uh, the airbase, walking out of one of those hangars to the car and going, "Golly, I wish I could park this car inside the hangar." You know, it was like fifty feet, and I was whining because the wind was just cutting right through me at zero. So, yeah, it was a wimp. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, well, they they don't have forest fires and earthquakes to deal with. So, no, we have we, we have tornadoes now. 
<laughs> yeah, you can keep those. Yeah, I lived in Tampa for a while. You you can keep hurricanes and tornadoes and any of that stuff. Jimmy, what do you get up there? Nor'easters, Mister Lincoln? Yeah, no, no, nor'easters are a nasty storm. I was there for blizzard of '76. I remember that. '78. Was it '78 or '76? '78. All right, '78. I'm sorry, it's been a while. Apparently. We said we had snow piled up to the above our our regulation yep. basketball hoop in our yard. Yep. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. No, absolutely not. not. No. And the whole like everything shut down for a week or so, at least it seemed that way. Cars were you know stranded in the the highway. Mainly that there was there's a lot of things that caused that, but it's other than the snow because we've had more snow since then. But forecasting is better, and their ability to fight the snow fighting is better. Hey, but that storm apparently, well, yeah, absolutely. But you know that that storm it kind of took everybody flat-footed. Apparently, only one guy really forecast it right. I was eight years old, dude. I, you know, it was a candy store for me outside with oh yeah, absolutely. Snow. Oh, absolutely. You guys are so young and innocent. So young and innocent. Well, okay, fine, whatever. Whatever. Well, you're my age, aren't you, Jim? Oh, you're younger. Yeah, I'm older. Okay, older. And Chris Chris is, I think, the baby of the family, isn't he? I guess. <laughs> yeah. Can you vote? Are you old enough to vote yet? Uh, no, I'm not, actually. Um, <laughs> no, he's I, smart enough. I, not. Yeah, if, if you were 8 and 78, then I'm a year older than you are. There you go. You were born in 69. 69, yeah. Yeah, you're a year old. You're a year older than me. Yeah, we're just youngins. We got Papa Paul Gilletto over there. You know, he has... <laughs> you look at Joe Fugate. <laughs> he's retired now. You know, I mean, uh, by golly, he's lucky. Yeah, my wife was afraid I would get bored when I retired, and I said, "No, there's plenty of model railroading to be done." Oh, that's if you right. keep yourself busy, you have to keep yourself busy. That's that's the thing. That's the same thing with me. You know, it's keeping yourself busy is designing the next kit, designing the next product. If you don't have something that going, I I get a little uh, grumpy, antsy. Yeah. No, it's it's great. There's always another decoder to install, either for yourself or someone else. So yeah, I've melted a few. Let that smoke out. You know, yeah, I, I'm good at that one too. Yeah. No, you know what? You, you put it on the track, and all of a sudden, whoa! Okay. <laughs> yeah, there went a hundred dollar bill no, at the time. No, 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 no. I, I bought the my my dad when he went to DCC. He had all twenty, thirty year old. You know, those uh, uh, Boston and Maine, uh, uh, they're all the, the blue box, uh, uh, you know, uh, Atherin. I'm not saying they're Atherin or they're um, something. They're, they're 20, 30-year-old, two or three wires inside. And yeah. And they have very little room. So I bought these N-scale decoders from TCS. Oh, wow. that had a, uh, a warranty. <laughs> screwed it up. You send it back, we'll send you a new one. You know, so I said, oh, this is good for me. They probably, and is that why we don't hear anything from them anymore? You put them out of business? <laughs> No, they advertise on MRH. I, um, yeah. uh, oh, I've never sent any back. I have them in a pile over here, but okay. So you put an N-scale, one amp rated decoder in an old blue box that was probably sucking down two and a half amps. I, I put them. No, they they rated more than one amp. They were they were okay for it because I put them in twenty thirty of my dad's engines. And they all worked fine. It was just when you had something wrong, uh, when you were figuring out the process, you'd burn one or two of them up. <laughs> um, but it was always every time, you know, when you knew you were doing it right, you put it on the track and go, oh, okay. uh, it's funny. My dad calls me all the time. He's like, uh, this loco ain't working. I just doesn't. 
he doesn't like the, uh, you know, he doesn't really know how to program the stuff. He just like, just do it for me and I'll run the trains, you know, and uh, not very, he, he just never has really been technical when it comes to like uh, computers and cell phones, that kind of stuff. I mean, he does a little bit, but with his Dakota stuff, it probably scares the crap out of him more than anything else. So I was doing them all for him. He'd be calling me up like two years later going, well, how do you turn this? I, Dad, I haven't seen the controller in a year and a half. <laughs> Hold on. Let me go online. Uh, you know, so those are always fun. <laughs> but like I said, I grew up with trains. I mean, my dad, my dad's, um, my first layout I ever experienced, uh, my dad built a, a two-car garage attached to our, our, our house in, uh, in Stoughton, Massachusetts, just to put a, a layout above the garage, you know, 20 by 20, whatever it was. Uh, so we always had the big layouts, never had a small anything. Uh, the, the next house he, we got, uh, when we went to Canton, um, Canton Junction was right behind us, the, the great, uh, station and, and a lot of history there. Um, we had a 90 foot long house, 30 feet wide with a 16 by six foot, 16 by 16 L in the basement. And the whole thing was one level of HO scale trains. Wow. Um, and had people coming over. So, I mean, it's always been instilled in me, but you know, the train thing for me, I, I don't call myself a model railroader only because, you know, I don't really do it. I love it. I love the trains. Um, I've just always been that structure and scenery guy and, you know, figured that that's where I'm going to put my my efforts is in, you know, what I love. My dad would build the trains and I would build the buildings when I was a kid, you know. So it's kind of come full circle, which is nice in, in its own way. Cool. But, yeah, trains are been a big part of my life. So it's, that's, you know why it's been nice to do this. Plus, my dad, he's always going, I need some more sidewalk kits, you know, for, for Springfield or this <laughs> or that. So it's great, you know, to be able to give him that stuff to to use as well. And, uh, yeah, it's all good. It is. It's a great, it's a great hobby. And, uh, I mean, it's changing. A uh, guy came in the store today. I was filling in for uh, for the owner. He had to do some stuff. And, he goes, uh, I don't do these small trains like you guys have here. And I said, okay, so you're O-scale? And he goes, yeah, Lionel, real train. <laughs> and I said, okay. He said, but I have a question. He said, can I ran, run two trains on the same track at the same time? And I said, well, yes and no. I said, yes, you can put two locomotives on there, but your controller is going to control both trains. So eventually one's going to catch up to the other. Or you can make two circles, two main lines, concentric, run one one way, one the other. And he said, well, can't I block it off? So I gave him a quick diagram of, you know, how to do uh, block breakout and all the switches for for that. And he goes, okay, what's my next step? And I said, you could do DCC. So I took him back to the railroad back there, fired everything up and showed him how to do it. And he goes, I had no idea. He said, I played with this as a kid. I said, the hobby is evolving. I said, and really, that's the wrong term. It's, it's progressing. Uh, five years, I don't think you'll recognize the hobby. The, the control systems we'll have will probably be battery power by then, you know, not being tripped up by dirty track, dirty wheels, stalling locomotives. I think it's exciting uh, time to be in the hobby. Just a lot of fun. Well, think about it. You know, w w before my dad went DCC, you know, he's got, you know, two different 
you know, uh, cabs running across the uh, buses, you know, running, running through the layout. You got to make sure yeah. all the switches, you, know, you get the reverse loop. And we'll be running trains and everybody's switching, flipping things. Like, how are you even having fun? Um, and then when I said, let's put DCC on this thing, he goes, well, how are we going to do that? I said, well, we're going to put one, but one of the buses on, we'll put the DCC on it and your trains are going to run. And he's like, no, I don't think so. Well, it's not going to happen. And he goes, what about the reverse loop? I go, I got this little circuit board here, right? This is going to take care of the reverse loop. No way in heck are you going to just hook that up and have everything work. We hooked it all up. We turned the trains on, and he was just draw, drop down going. Because of how difficult it was before, you know what I mean? It was just nuts. Uh, so it had yes. to go through and pull all the other wire out. And here he had all the all the, the feeder lines, everything, you know, everywhere. So it was all perfect. He just had to hook the DCC system up to it. And he just really never thought it was going to be that easy. And it, and it is. And that's the difference is, is you don't have to be a wiring expert really anymore. You, you know, if you wanted basic one trains, you know, you know, with a few instructions, you know, and you take your time and do it, you can do it. Um, but I, I had never even understood what he was doing half the time with, with all the cabs and, and switches here and there and turning this toggle switch to this. And, nope, train didn't run because this isn't on. Like, yeah, man. right, right. So it absolutely is evolving as it should. Absolutely. It, uh, we did a uh, seminar on DCC, went to a restaurant and uh, rented one of the private rooms. And we had 15, 20 guys uh, showed up for a breakfast meeting, hour and a half. And then we went back to the store where the big railroad is to demonstrate more stuff to them. And most of the, the people that came there were not like uh, you guys, your age group. It was people my age that said, you know, it's time for me to to embrace DCC. So we went back and started running trains and it would coincidentally, it was just when the first River Rossi, uh, what, U25Cs had been, uh, delivered to the stores. And of course they all came out with ESU decoders in them. And so I said, well, here, let's put your locomotive on this track and I'll show you what this can do. And so I walked through that process with him and so forth and he was just blown away by the you know the the way it responded to the throttle the sound file the lights and all that stuff and, and i said well how big of a railroad do you have at the house he said well i don't have one i said you don't he said no i just buy this stuff because i like the way it looks he said i'm a collector he said i just wanted to see it run because i don't have i said well why don't you buy some track and buy a, a basic NCE starter system and I'll show you how this works. He says, no, I'm happy. <laughs> I went, wow, he just spent 259 bucks or whatever it is for one of those locomotives with a beautiful sound system and you just wanted a demo and now it's going to go in a display case. Uh, it's an active hobby, you know. Uh, don't just buy and collect. Whatever floats your boat. Put it though. to use. Well, I know that. I, I do know that, and if somebody helps me in building this uh, railroad in the store, I'll, you know, hey, next time you come in to help, bring one of your trains. We'll put it on the track. You can run it. It's all DCC. I said, uh, appreciate your help and, you know, doing it, but, yeah, it's, uh, but, you know, when the husband and wives come in 
and the wife is more into the scenery. She would be after one of your kids, Jimmy, because they like to do that. But it's amazing when I run through the basics of the whys and hows of DCC back there, the wife's the one nodding her head in agreement. Oh, I understand how that works. You know, and the husband's, I don't know, maybe it's just he's different thinking process. But the women, I'm always amazed the women just grasp the binary code process, you know, the data transmission of what it can do. And they're going, honey, why don't you buy one of these? You know, talking to their husband. You know, you'd be surprised. Um, I've heard a lot of, of things where they're bringing little kids in or, or you know, elementary school age kids in or high school kids in and most of the most of the boys want nothing to do with it and all the girls are lined up to run the trains and and to learn um i see it all the time with at shows with with guys wives who come to clinics and stuff and they're they're more interested in it than the husbands are uh you know i think it's great that they can do it together and and uh have a common thing but you know i, I think most people's problem with not doing things is they're just scared you don't want to mess things up. You know, I really don't know it. I, I I don't want to mess this thing up. You don't open the kit. You know, when once you start doing it for a while, you realize that there's no mistake you can't fix. That's right. I mean, I've, I've screwed up so many things and no one would ever know it was a screw-up. It turns into something cool. I mean, that's how you learn. And, and what I tell people is you open the box and do something. You're going to – and figure you're going to screw it up. You know, just do something because uh, you, you, you'll never do anything if you don't start. And that procrastination, the, you know, I've, I've had it a million times over. The analysis paralysis uh, is, 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 could be debilitating. You know, sometimes it's best to just do it. That's true. Or they'll look at, you know, one of uh, Chris's Genesis uh, sound-equipped locomotives and go, well, I'll run it. I said, how are you going to run it? Let me show you how to change the address and go in and I won't do it for them unless they ask me. But, well, what if I do something wrong? I said, just remember, CV8 at 8 and unplug the controller for about 30 seconds. I said, that's your do-over on uh, Tsunami and most other decoders. I said, you know, as long as it's not blowing smoke because you did something really silly on it. I said, you can just go back to a default, learn from it and start the programming process all over. So I'm all the time giving little impromptu tutors, tutoring sessions on, okay, here's how we're going to program your locomotive, and I want you to go download the manual. And I think Tsunami's manual is very well done. Uh, If you're a German engineer, you'll love the ESU manual. It is written with a different approach than Tsunami, you know, It'll make a reference. Go to paragraph 5.7.2.1. Well, there's 40 pages. Where is that? So you're yeah, well, you wonder why pages. some guys don't want to touch that stuff because of that right there. And I'm not saying anything out of school because I've shared the same thoughts with Matt Herman at ESU. And even even Matt's wife, I called her with a question one day and I've made some comment about the uh, the political leanings of the German engineer who wrote the book, and she started laughing. She said, yeah, it can be a little bit challenging to wade through, but once you understand the basics of even ESU, it just clicks into place. And it, I tell you what, I am a fan of ESU uh, 
especially their sound decoders. I like their motor control, but and their sound files are very good. And once you get through some of the quirks, learn some of the different uh, CVs that control different things, uh, I tell you what, I think they are on to something. So big fan of ESU. But again, it's it's another illustration of how the industry is changing. And I would imagine if I were a tsunami, I would look at what ESU is doing and going, you know, I think we can improve our product and go back out there and protect our uh, our lead and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a great industry. So. You know what I noticed in model railroading that seems to be a recent trend, and it, it never happened for the 30 years prior, was interiors and interior lighting and, you know, really going on as much modeling on the inside of, like, a structure or a model um, more than ever before. It, it, it's a really popular trend. I noticed pop, uh, a lot of... Passenger cars are coming with interiors. There's ways to illuminate them. Same thing with structures. I've noticed there's a big trend towards um, getting the insides going, too. You know, insides can be great. I mean, really, if you've got a model that's, you know, up close and personal and the layout for everyone to see, to be able to put lights in or light boxes in certain rooms. I know Michael Lumina has the stuff where you can have a program to look like a TV is flickering in one of the rooms. Um, you know, all that's cool stuff, you know, but when I look at it from a manufacturer standpoint is when I design my kits, I have a an idea that if someone is going to do an interior in it, uh, but again, a lot of the newbies and the young guys, you throw all those extra parts and lights and stuff in it, you just scare the dickens out of them. Um, it's, once you can get people to scratch build, start thinking on their own, uh, printing certain photos out and stuff that they can put in the background to make it look like boxes. There's a lot of neat things, mirrors that you can do. Um, it's all still, I think, a tiny bit advanced for, for some of these guys. Um, you just have to be, you know, thought, mindful of that. Um, I love interiors. I Like I said, I, I don't do them, and I, I don't do them in our kits right now. But, um, yeah, I, when I see those, you know, uh, John Sullivan and a couple other guys do a lot of uh, modeling and, and just do wonderful interiors. They just... It's nice stuff. Uh, in fact, the, the the email I did for MRH this past Monday was about detailing your locos and adding people to them and and so forth. So, um, absolutely right. right, Chris. Well, you know, thinking about that, it, I always thought like 3D printing would kind of make doing interiors for models that don't have them a lot easier. You know. Well, I, I mean, it cert- certainly can. 3D printing in, in different applications is going to uh, you know, give us lots of different things we can do. Uh, you know, you can go to Shapeways and go through the database right now of designs and have them printed, um, and you're going to get them in in fairly good quality, you know, for little details and stuff. Uh, right. you know, unfortunately, you know, I've seen guys, you know, having a 3D printed a horn for their locomotive for HO scale, and it's, you know, only a little teeny piece, you know, you know, cost them, you know, three, four dollars, you know, my, you know, and then a setup on top of that. So it can be expensive, too. So right. it, it's still evolving. Um, I think once once there's, there's some better quality, it, it, you know, you got to keep in mind, 
It's just 3D printing stuff. You know, people make a joke about it. Like, you know, you watch uh, Big Bang Theory and like, we can print dolls of ourselves or a whistle in only six hours, you know? Yes, uh, yes. Well, well, <laughs> well, well there's, there's a whole aspect of truth to that. Um, some of the parts that we were printing for the museum, again, we're talking G scale. We're talking larger, larger size parts. You know, they could take an hour to print. Um, you know, parts that, you know, we're doing in HO, uh, we can have some of them just take, you know, a, a minute and a half to print, depending upon the settings, depending upon all the stuff. So you just got to be I careful had, because it takes a long time in certain things. I had a um, – I was working with uh, Peter Stemple, somebody I know, and he had a Form 1 machine. And it's uh, – I was doing a boxcar end, an O-scale boxcar end, which is a – it's a corrugated boxcar, a modern boxcar end. And uh, he was trying it out on his machine, and he printed one. And it took 11 hours yeah. to print it. And he broke it when he tried to send it to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, these, these machines, they're too big. You have too much um, infill or whatever in them. They start curling right. on the edges, you know. So this is it's well, not was, as easy as people think. Yeah, he was uh, trying right to get now. it off of the – he was in a rush because he had to take a plane to – somewhere else and he wanted to get it in the mail for me before he left and was going to be gone for three or four days and so he was rushing to get it off the, the uh, sprue material not really sprue material the, the fill material huh the build plate no no the way that thing the way his oh it printed with works, uh... it, it, okay, it's okay. in a it, it's in a tub and a ultraviolet light shines in and shines into the bath and makes the the item so I brought it to um, uh, the Fanaro from Fanaro and Camarango, and he had, was talking about, I've never seen a 3D printed part that has enough resolution to be able to do a model railroad, uh, you know, to make a car in a model, right. model railroad application. There's just too much uh, striation in the layers. And when he saw this thing, he says, this is the best one I've ever seen. It's, you know... But it took eleven hours. Yeah, yeah. that's you know, a problem to, with production. Yeah, you know, you know. So okay, I mean, it, it may, makes a great master, uh, but is it going to be able to? But are they making it, masters faster in the normal fashion than to get in the same right. detail? You know, I mean, it's, correct. It's he can, you know, he can do it because he's good at it. But right. uh, I don't know. I've never seen a, uh, you know, this is something you could do with injection molding. But, you know, for the normal, because of the style it is, it's just, you know, it's a constant corrugated curve and in a Berwick boxcar. And it's I, it's just hard to do. You know, yeah, you could build one, but, you know, I don't think I have the modeling patience to do it for that. I have patience for some things, but not for that. Yeah. You know, I can sit down and build complicated track work, and I love it. But you want me to do certain other things in modeling, and it just doesn't, you know, doesn't appeal to me. So I, I'm not going to spend the patience that, that 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 it would require. You know, I would, you know, I saw this guy doing a uh, a build of one of the yard throats to one of the, I don't know which uh, of the transit stations in Chicago it is, but it's six main tracks, and it splits into probably at least twelve tracks in this 
station, and there's at least three double crossovers. It's double crossovers, and each one of the double crossovers are double slip switches. Mm. So you mm. build a, a double slip, multiple double slip double crossovers. It's insane. But I was like, wow, that's too cool. I would love to do that. <laughs> but build a boxcar end, not so much. Yeah, well, that's what's great about the hobby. Everyone has yeah. different loves and interests, and that, that drive them to what they do. You just got to get together with the right people that that uh, make everything complete. Everyone does something that that's why the club seems to go. But you know, back to three D printing, it's great stuff, but it's not what everyone really thinks it is right now. And it's getting there. It, it's limited uh, with certain things, and and certain things it's terrific for. So if you're you know how to use it and use it for the right things, it's all good. Other than that, it could be a lot of time and a lot of nothing for a lot of nothing. Now, but for instance, it, I think that in in regards to making interiors for structures, it would be awesome because as you're looking through a window and you have things in between you and what you're looking at, it's gonna diffuse the the um, the striation. The, mm -hmm. the yeah. lack of the lack of detail is not going to be that big of a deal. The other thing is well, you can make things smaller. Because because of the nature of it, you're you know you're not going to make an HO scale chair. You're going to make an HO scale chair on a floor, and by right. the, by that very nature, because you have the floor, then the HO scale chair now prints. Right. Whereas the HO right. scale chair by itself would never print in a million years. Well, you, you know, you work. could also add in just like little bumps and stuff for. Uh, silverware and yep. plates and all, all a lot of stuff and like you said the striation who cares it, 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 as long as you get a little bit of that definition in there it, it's going to look great on an interior yeah but, right but okay depending upon what it's going to take to print those uh, is it better to production wise to then make molds out of it and cast it or to print you know, so the point is, is the speeds aren't there enough. I mean, my machine's great because most of the time it's, it's if, if it's not being used, just sitting here. So I can put it on and let it run all day and print whatever I need in a day uh, and, and have, you know, parts ready for 50 kits or whatever. Um, and, you know, no big deal. But, you know, you start printing other things, you just have to be careful. It's not, like I said, you know, if you want to wait 11 hours for an interior of a store, you know, you want to, you know, I, that's great for me to use for my own building, but not really for me to sell for other people. You know what I mean? So right. you've got to you got to balance that, and and it, it's it'll get there. It certainly will get there. I mean, there's all this talk about these you know scanners that you know you could 3D you know scan these little items and and so forth. But like I said, the technology is going to change so fast. Just sort of save your money and you know let, let let guys like me deal with some experimental stuff and then as it gets better you know you you'll have something but shapeways is just expensive i think um and they do awesome work don't get me wrong um i've seen a lot of their work and it's it's tremendous but you know it is what it is how much you want to pay for a horn you know to go on the engine where you can get one in brass or in or injection molded from somewhere for almost that almost looks just like it you know what i mean for 3 cents so it just depends upon your level of modeling and, and uh, you know, whether you're – I don't like to use the term rivet counter because, I you know, I, I respect those kind of guys. Everyone's a little bit different. But 
depends upon your level and, and what you want out of it versus what most people are going to see because most people are never going to see what you see or what you want, you know. So it's a model, guys, right? It's not an yeah. exact replica. An exact replica is different than a model, okay? Model is have fun with it. Don't get stressed out over it. But even replica by the uh, the embedded definition is not the exact thing. No. It's a replica. Right. It replicates. But, no, you're absolutely right. It's a hobby. Have fun with it. Well, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned about the rivet counter. I didn't really envision my, myself ever being one until I'm looking at, like, some artwork and counting down the number of rivets so I can put the logo in the right place. <laughs> you know, yeah, but number of bricks. You laugh. Wood but planks, you know, it's like counting the wood planks between things, you know. <laughs> On this Union Brewery, this was the first kit that when I, I took the exact front of it, and it was it's counted bricks. To get the door heights, to have it, everything scaled down to look just like the front of that building. I mean, I I did all that. I counted. I sit there, blow up the screen, go one, two, three, four, five, and then did it on my with with my my stuff to do that. And um, uh, I, like I said, I thought it was cool. I mean, you, you learn from it. You learn how you can move things around, and and uh, each building is so unique anyway. But yeah, we did that on this last one, and it was it was it wasn't river counting. It was brick counting. <laughs> well, well, Jim has been doing some tie counting because weren't you doing that on your chocolate layout where you're laying down the the tie to the prototype there? He's got you on mute. Uh-oh. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, to a certain extent. To a certain extent it was. Okay. To to the point where it was like convenient to the model. Then I take so it. No, I mean just... I, I no. It, it, in one particular case, I did it because of the crossing that I was doing. Oh. Okay. Uh, and so it actually worked out that it made more sense when I was making it to just lay it in place using the tie locations that were on the actual photograph. So I didn't do it everywhere at all. Not even oh, remotely. Okay. Just on the crossing. Gotcha. But, you know, in HO scale, I don't care how good of a rivet counter you are, the things are not going to be able to be put on the model. So, uh, you know, a guy like Chuck Doan who's doing stuff in like 1 and and so forth, I mean, he gets that detail in there that looks incredible in photos you know, because he's working with the right size for that kind of stuff, you know. So you have to look at the scale and go, what can you really do with it and, you know, what should be done with it because some things just don't translate. You know, we were trying to do a Flemish bond brick, which uh, consists of a Flemish bond is you have a a, a, um, a stretcher row of brick, which is your normal long, you know, average about nine inch long face. And then you get a header row, which is the brick turned. So you just got the end. Well, it was stretcher, header, stretcher, header, stretcher, header, stretcher, header, every single row. Well, we did one, and, and when we did it out in HO scale, it, it looked like a mess. It, it, you'd, you'd step back from it, you see these weird patterns. It just really took your eye away from it. And when we did more of an English bond, which is a one whole stretcher row, then one whole header row, one whole stretcher row, it looked more and resembled more of a Flemish bond in a model setting than the Flemish bond. You know what I'm saying? So you have to you have to take each thing separately and 
whether you're river counter or not, um, you're going to have yeah. limitations in certain scales, and and at that point you're building a model, so you try to you know get it to resemble as as best you can. It, it, it's something that I see a lot of modelers struggle with. It's they they kind of fight two different things here. Look versus being 100% accurate to a scale drawing, you know. Yeah. Which which one's gonna be, which is it gonna be? Because sometimes they end up being incompatible. They're not the same. Uh, track is a lot like that. Uh, I know for a fact if you try to do a number 24 turnout, your your trains are gonna look kind of funny because it's such a big turnout. Um, it, it just doesn't look right. Yep. You know. So. At what point do you proportion things, or do you go completely 100% foot for foot, inch by inch, you know? Yeah, it's hard, though. I mean, so many other kit manufacturers have, you know, selectively compressed things. Um, you know, things get smaller and smaller and smaller, uh, you know, and then you start putting, you know, real foot, you know, uh, measured buildings next to them, and they look grossly oversized or whatever, so... It, it, it's it's something that has to take a lot of consideration in with what you're doing, um, you know. Depending yeah, proportions. For example, I think um, a lot of modeled streets and things kind of throw off the scale of the structures. You know, sometimes a modeler will model a, a street foot for foot, and it throws off the scale for the structures that are right next to it on the block. You know. Yeah. Yeah, the streets end up being too wide, and it just just doesn't look right. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I figured in case people want to know how to get a hold of me, um, I get uh, my email is uh, Jimmy at MonsterModelWorks.com. It's J I M M Y, and it's uh, MonsterModelWorks.com, which you can get all your information out as well. So that way, just in case uh, someone doesn't know who or what I am, they can figure it out now. Well, we'll have the dancing girls in your garage tomorrow morning to do a promo shoot, so it'll be okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just give a heads up to your wife. Yep. That's Did you say dancing gorillas? Yeah, I, think <laughs> I said dancing girls. Dancing gorillas. Not a lot of dancing girls in model railroading. More dancing gorillas. <laughs> and even fewer uh, dancing gorillas. <laughs> Maybe a few more. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, could be, could be. There's a few interesting characters out there when you go to the shows and you look around. It's just sometimes you just go to shake your head. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that's cool. But, no, I, I appreciate uh, this. This was this was great that you asked me to come on and do this. And, you know, we've, 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 sometimes we get you get so busy you don't you don't see past your, your office door, in this case your garage door sometimes. So, um, I appreciate the extension for uh, for this. It's great. Oh no, enjoyed having you. It's always interesting. Uh, uh, it's a good blend of uh, people. So I knew it'd be a, a very interesting show. So appreciate your time. Uh, you know, the only thing that I can add to Jimmy is sort of um, in good humor uh, to go along with your diorama dirt. You might consider. <laughs> You might consider doing like diorama snow, just so you can sell it in Alaska to Eskimos, and then you'll have business savvy status that you've indeed sold snow to Eskimos. You got to find a way to keep it in the container without melting, though, right? 
<laughs> exactly, you know. <laughs> I have more people that come in and go, what? You sell dirt? People actually buy <laughs> dirt? The neighbors and stuff come over, what's that jar of dirt? We sell those, can't keep them in stock. What? Who buys dirt? <laughs> I didn't understand. Well, you, you know, there's a lot of modelers out there that want to do snow scenes, and especially for, you know, winter time, it, it, it kind of comes up on and people always are asking me, hey, what are you using for snow? <laughs> so, uh, check with Mike Confalone. He does a pretty good job with some of that stuff. Confalone does excellent snow. He yeah, does. He's, he's crazy. Hey, looking at his stuff, he's, he's, he's just he's out there. It's great stuff. Love it. Okay. Hey, Jimmy, thank you very much. No problem. Hey, thanks, guys. I super appreciate it. All right. It. Take care, Jimmy. Enjoy your it's night. It's good talk. Yep. Same here, man.